the whole life cycle from when the employee starts, how do you get them set up and time to productivity? You know, how do you get that down to the smallest amount it can be? And then on an ongoing basis, how do you make sure your company's data is secure? Security is everybody's problem. That's how we talk about it at Fleetsmith. And, you know, if you see something, say something. We want to promote an atmosphere of over-disclosure. We weren't doing all of the things that every company wanted, but the things that we focused on were really well done and really secure. You're listening to the Enterprise Ready Podcast, the show aiming to change the enterprise software narrative from how to sell to enterprises to how to build for enterprises. We'll interview industry experts and enterprise software founders as we break through the jargon, establish a common vernacular, and share the lessons learned from building the world's best enterprise software. Hi, I'm Grant Miller, creator of Enterprise Ready and founder and CEO of Replicated, where we power the world's best enterprise software. The Enterprise Ready podcast is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, or just learn more about enterprise features, find us at enterpriseready.io. Today, our guest is Zach Blue, founder and CEO of Fleetsmith. In the episode, we dive into the founding story behind Fleetsmith and then move into how they brought the product to market. Given the nature of the business, the story of Fleetsmith is intertwined with lessons about what all companies should be doing for internal security. We also spend a good bit of time discussing how they've implemented user management by leveraging G Suite, Office 365, as well as their approach to product assortment. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey, Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for having me. Cool. So I'd love to have you just give your background for everyone's knowledge. Yeah, happy to. So went to UC Davis, uh, was an IT manager at a small department on campus there. Got a job at Wikia when I first moved to San Francisco. And originally, I was the office assistant there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so not in IT. After a few months, I started helping out with the computers and IT things and uh, eventually got the job as the IT guy. And over the years, I was there for about five-something years, got promoted to IT manager and then IT director. When I started uh, a media company, we had about 65 people in the San Francisco office that I was supporting. And when I left, um, we were north of 300, approaching 400, and we had 12 offices around the world, and I had a, a team and was responsible for global IT. Cool. And then that kind of led you into what you're doing today, right? Exactly. So one of the challenges we faced, like most fast-growing companies and distributed companies, it's another commonality we notice in our customers today, is uh, device management and all the things that go with device management, like keeping a good inventory, making sure everything's up to date, making sure you're secure. So we didn't have any capability there when I started. Uh, we were just using a spreadsheet, actually, for inventory. Oh, classic. The most useful tool of all times. It is. It, uh, it does everything pretty well, but it's all manual, right? And so at scale, we needed some automation. And um, kind of the trigger points were anytime we hired a new person, we're talking one to three hours of manual work, right? Anytime Apple updated macOS, hours and hours or days of work. And uh, it was a lot of uh, spray and pray. Send an email, hope that everyone updated or didn't update if we needed to test it first, right? So... We had these gaps in our capabilities and asked around, tried to figure out how to automate this and realized that a lot of the leading companies were using open source tools, configuration management like Puppet and Chef, a tool out of Disney Animation Studios called Monkey, and uh, that does package management. This is all on the Apple side, by the way. Sure. And so looked at how to do the open source thing that the big companies were doing, ran a little POC, realized you know, that's great, but how about security? How about uptime? How about kind of all the operations? Okay, we don't have the team and expertise to do this or the resources, so we looked at the commercial side. And boy, that was a, a bit of a shock because we were squarely in that SMB kind of mid-market category, and most of the products out there were really geared toward larger enterprise. And so there were a lot of roadblocks from just being able to run a pilot it was weeks until we could even run a pilot. Oh, interesting. Uh, had to talk to a salesperson, couldn't test it ourselves. And then the actual ongoing cost of administering the product was very high, both in cash and technical expertise. And then security. We had a lot of concerns about the security of these vendors. And so, to be honest, got sort of uh, mad at the world a little bit. I said, why isn't there something better here? Why can't we just go and you know click a button and fix this? And that's 
the answer is nobody had done it yet. And so built a prototype. So you like evaluated the whole market. You saw this from like an end user perspective that there was this challenge that you had in your company and it was like no one was solving it. And so so someone needs to. Yeah, we we weren't special, right? What I realized was we were every other company except for the Facebooks, the Googles, the Dropboxes that had the resources to do this. And because nobody was doing this in a way that you didn't need a ton of technical expertise, a ton of security expertise, a ton of engineering expertise, and time and money to do it, everyone needed this. And so I talked to my peers in IT and security in the area, and everyone said, yeah, boy, we'd love something that added automation, added statefulness, added a great user experience, you know, and that you could get started with and actually run a real pilot yourself before trusting this uh, company blindly that was out there. And so, I mean, the core problem was how do you manage devices, Mac-specific devices, in an organization of, let's say, like 10 to, you know, a couple hundred, maybe a thousand people? Is that kind of the... Exactly. The whole life cycle, right? From when the employee starts, how do you get them set up and time to productivity? You know, how do you get that down to the smallest amount it can be? And then on an ongoing basis, how do you make sure your company's data is secure? How do you guarantee that every computer... Every mobile device has an encrypted drive, is updated to the latest version of iOS or macOS, right? And then you have attribution. How do you know who's got which computer and you don't have floaters? Because you know it's the one, the one that's just floating out there that's in the lab somewhere, but that's online that uh, lets everybody in. Cool. Yeah. So we'll we'll dive into some more of those features in a little bit and sort of like why those matter so much. But you know, before then, let's just kind of talk about like the founding story, like right. So you see this opportunity, and then what was the next step? So. Originally, I had asked somebody named Stevie Hershey, who was on my IT team at Wikia, hey, do you know how to do device management? And he said, no, I don't, but I know a guy who does. And it turns out this guy who does, who's now one of our co-founders, was working at Dropbox. And he actually rolled out Corp Mac management internally at Dropbox. He used Puppet, Config Management, and Monkey, like I mentioned before, glued it all together with you know a bunch of resources from their DevOps team and their security team, and got it going. He later worked on Windows too. And so after I learned oh, how is to... That, is that sort of what inspired your first internal attempt you mentioned earlier? Exactly, yeah. yeah. After that, I actually went to a Puppet Bootcamp myself and learned Puppet and came back and Stevie and I did the uh, POC internally. And ironically, Puppet was a big inspiration for Fleetsmith and now Luke Kinese is one of our advisors, which is great, the former CEO and founder of Puppet. Oh, nice. Um, so that's a lot of fun for me. But yeah, so... That's what inspired the POC. And when we realized that it wasn't going to work given our resources, and we looked at the commercially available options and said, these are no-goes for a variety of reasons, I said, Stevie, could you actually introduce me to this guy? I want his help working on this kind of prototype. It was really a project at this point. We didn't know where it would go. And so as Jesse, my co-founder, Jesse Endall, tells the story, he met me at a cafe in, in uh, San Francisco thinking, no way I'm going to leave Dropbox, right? I've got a great job. We're growing super quickly. But the funny thing is he shared all of my frustrations as a practitioner. He started as an IT engineer and then became a security uh, engineer at Dropbox. And so he was the customer too, right? And um, he recognized all the pain points. All of his friends in IT and security were saying, how do we do this the right way? And they were looking to him also for his model, how he built it. But again, they all didn't have the resources. And so when he saw the prototype that I'd built and when we started talking about you know, the state of the world, it became apparent that we shared the exact same vision for how things should be. And we were both kind of mad at the world for this not already existing. And those two things came together and you know, the rest is history. We just started it. And so when you first started, how, how did you get your first customers? Did you get Wikia as a first customer, Dropbox? Who did you go to first? Yeah, so Wikia was an early one and actually went to the uh, CEO at the time who was my boss, Craig Palmer awesome guy. And I said, Hey, Craig, I'm working on the side project I want to show you. And I think it would be great if, um, you know, if we could use it here at some point. And he was super supportive. So that was a really great early bit of support. And yeah, after it got to a, a point where we felt comfortable showing it more broadly, Jesse and I just talked to IT professionals and security professionals, mostly in San Francisco, a couple in New York. And we said, Hey, what do you think? Would this be something you'd use? The answer was pretty universally. Yes, right. There was just such a high cost to either doing this yourself with uh, open source or you know doing it commercially. And so there was a ton of pent-up demand, I'd say. And we got about 10 customers who said, you know, as soon as this is ready, we'll do it. And they signed. And shortly after that, we ended up 
raising some venture capital and starting it out. So I know your focus initially was really on the Mac world, right? And so like, uh, you know, administering Apple devices. Was this solved in like the Windows world for small companies? Yeah, so it's interesting. Microsoft has basically had a 20, 30 year head start on Apple in this space, right? And so Microsoft has always built good tooling in this space. There may still be a, a somewhat high technical bar, but at least the tooling existed. Apple's focus has been consumer. And, you know, they say that from the beginning. And they've relied on third-party vendors to kind of bridge the gap in enterprise. And when iOS came out and enterprise adoption started skyrocketing, first of iOS and then kind of the Mac as a halo effect, you know, they were really uh, in need of, we thought, <laughs> a little additional help to help people who didn't have companies, who didn't have the expertise or resources accomplish the goals that all companies need to do in terms of corporate security. And as sort of a like NSF where even the scaling companies that are sort of like hipster enterprises as we might call them are using Mac as the primary computer right for all their staff there's not really a great solution for this and even if in the one that is out there is is fairly legacy and doesn't really work very well I like the uh, hipster enterprise idea but yeah you know there are companies that are 100% Mac both in San Francisco and elsewhere now it's increasingly common across industries too but then also, even in enterprises, you might have a 2,000-person company with a two or 300-device Apple deployment, right? Sure. You talk about the future of work and automating offices. You might have all Windows laptops for employees, but you have iPads on all your conference rooms, and you use Envoy to sign in. And so there's just amazingly increasing and accelerating penetration of Apple in the enterprise, whether it's to support employees directly or with the conference rooms and kind of facilities. Yeah, but like that just wasn't true 10 years ago, right? So No, absolutely not. So that's part of the paradigm shift is that now we're seeing more and more sort of Mac devices throughout organizations. Yeah, the trends that we saw were Apple gaining and outperforming the PC market substantially in the enterprise and more and more companies adopting Apple as a major part or in total. Yeah, sure. Okay, that makes total sense to me. So then... You create this company, you have three other co-founders, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. How, how many early customers did you get before you raised any money? We had uh, about 10. I think it was exactly 10, yep. And so they were all using your stuff basically in production to manage their devices? Yeah, we had a bunch of companies using it. It was in beta, for sure. We actually took the Google approach and stayed in beta for quite a while, long past what most companies would probably do. So we actually came out of beta um, earlier this year. But the way we think about beta is actually kind of different. I won't go too far into it, but... We think of beta sort of as a horizontal issue where we weren't doing all of the things that every company wanted, but the things that we focused on were really efficient, really well done, and really secure. And so it was kind of the horizontal deal that kept us in beta. Now we're in GA, and we kind of tackle the entire Apple device management. Dive into that. Like, How do you guys think about go-to-market in terms of what, what's alpha, what's beta, what's GA? Yeah, totally. We want to make sure that when we say, hey, we have this product and it's GA, it accomplishes the primary jobs that need to be done for the person who's doing it, right? And depending on what the domain is that we're talking about, that can be just one job or it can be quite a few, right? And so take you know Mac management for one. In FleetSmith, there's a ton of automation around the things you can do to an individual Mac. And then, of course, you can multiply that at scale across your whole fleet securely over the internet. So initially, you could do, you know, I want to say that launch 10% of the things that you can now do to your Mac. Examples, you couldn't deploy custom certificates right? when we launched to your Macs. Now you can. So if you have that kind of a need, you can do that automatically through FleetSmith today. You couldn't automatically push out Wi-Fi config at launch. You can do that today. Things you could do, though, that worked really well from day one and were game changers were you could upgrade macOS itself fleet-wide securely over the internet and to paint a picture of the contrast, before FleetSmith, that was a 20-plus step manual process. There were literally blog posts written about this because it was so hard and technical to do. Anytime Apple released an update, you're doing manual package management, I, I could go on. And with FleetSmith, it's two clicks. So that's what I'm talking about when I say beta versus GA. The things that we launched with, <laughs> automatic macOS updates, file vault disk encryption, those things worked and worked well. Um, and we've just added and complemented those. And so now we do the vast, vast majority of things that you know professional IT people want to do. And we have extensibility. So 
another example is now we've added you know compatibility and actually we can push chef and puppet onto the agents onto your devices right and so if you need even more power and you want to customize it completely you can use fleetsmith and device enrollment program that's been rolled now into apple's business manager and mdm and bootstrap your own custom configuration management for your endpoints so you can go as far as you want to go now but not all that existed on day one and uh, we wanted to under promise and over deliver so when we felt that the sort of percentage of jobs to be done was there and they were all working really well, we, uh, we went GA. That's cool. And, and then, I mean, were you working with like these customers, getting feedback the whole time? How do you think about sort of finding those early beta testers or beta customers or however you think about for rolling this out? Totally. Well, to start with, you know, one of the good things about Fleetsmith was that a lot of the co-founders and early team were IT and security professionals. So to start with, we were the customer, which really helped in terms of initially building the things just to solve our own pain. And so we thought about you know, all kinds of things like, what's really painful? What do we have to deal with all the time? We thought about you know, new hires, right? This is such a painful thing. What if we could automate that? Apple releasing new macOS updates. They do that semi-frequently. <laughs> There's a, a dot release or a, a smaller patch release you know, at least every quarter, it seems. That's a lot of work, right? And how about the third-party apps? Google releases Chrome updates constantly. And so we looked at what were the things that were just constant and painful that we could automate in a, a way that had a great user experience. So that brought us so far. And then, of course, we wanted to do the release early, release often thing. And we get a ton of feedback and requests from our customers. So I was mentioning, um, we call it our catalog, the things you can do, the apps and settings you can push and configure on your endpoints. So we get requests all the time. And until we had gotten that coverage out, you know, we still get requests to this day. There are just much more edge cases now. But you know, customers are probably now the number one input into that process in terms of capabilities. Yeah, because you came from this background and you were your own like target market, you were able to work off of all the pain points you'd seen and experienced as IT admins and then build a solution that would solve like your sort of highest priority ones, right? And then you knew that those were commonly felt throughout the industry. You could bring that solution to your potential customers, show it to them, get their feedback, and even get them to start using it because even if it didn't cover every possible like, you know, catalog item or feature, right? It was going to help them get there faster in the beginning. Exactly. If I can tell you I can eliminate, you know, 20 hours of work a month around upgrading your fleet to the newest version of macOS or a third-party app, and we do that really well. Right? Do one thing, do it well. That's kind of how we started. That's great. Okay, and so one other thing I'd love to just dive into because we're going to talk a lot more in, in a minute here about sort of overall enterprise-ready features within Fleetsmith. But one thing that I think you can help educate the audience around is just one of the core features of enterprise-ready is, is security, and specifically. The Enterprise Ready site tries to cover what we call product security, focuses on development environment, you know, like technical operations and, uh, and product. But I think you, you know, you really are an expert on corporate security as well, right? And sort of like the stuff that you build helps solve those problems. So maybe just talk a little bit about like as a SaaS vendor, why corporate, you know, slash internal security is important, what some of the first steps are you can take to start to become more secure, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would uh, say two things. One is we've actually used Enterprise Ready from very early on. And um, some of the product decisions we made, it was interesting because they are enterprise features on Enterprise Ready, but they actually just improve the product experience for SMBs, which is our target market. And so I think that's a really interesting overlap we can get into more as far as where do these quote-unquote enterprise features help everybody. You know, as far as how we... Um, yeah, just guidelines for uh, SaaS and vendors that should think about internal corporate security. Like, how should they be rolling out? Why should they be thinking about this? Right? They're thinking about SOC two audit. They're thinking about something else. What should they implement? So, yeah, some companies have compliance needs, right? And then there are kind of baselines that everybody should do. And so, you have to understand how the threat landscape has changed. I think a lot of people still have this idea that unless you're the type of organization that's going to be targeted directly by a a hacker or a nation state, you don't really have to worry about security. 
And that's false. That's just not true anymore. And the reason in large part is automation. Attackers have gotten a lot more sophisticated. And so they're not coming out and targeting you directly. They're just writing a script that targets IP addresses across the internet at a scale that's hard to conceive of. But they're knocking at your door. And so it's not a question of they want you. It's a question of are you vulnerable? And if you are, they will come in and get you. And so there are a few different categories. I'm borrowing a lot of this content, probably doing it no justice, from my co-founder Jesse's recent talk at uh, MacTech, the conference in LA. But you know, there's the nation-state attackers, which I won't cover too much of. That's a pretty sophisticated kind of threat to defend against. But then there are sort of the vandals, the script kiddies, that are doing it for amusement, right? And then there are the uh, criminals, which are doing it for the money. And so if you think about what they want, they want data. Typically, data is what uh, they can sell and turn around for the money, uh, whereas the script kiddies are in it for defacement, right? And so when you talk about data, that's on the corp side, typically, right? And so if you want to defend against that sort of attack, you're thinking about stuff like ransomware, or you're thinking about people exploiting known vulnerabilities in your operating system, or a physical attack where you're at Starbucks and someone pulls all the data off your hard drive because it's not encrypted. There are a couple things you can do that are really simple and basic, and if you do them, you're way ahead of the game. On the app side, app security in the corporate environment, if you use G Suite as an example, you want to turn on 2FA, not just enable it, but make it mandatory across your domain. Consider uh, whitelisting which applications can authenticate with OAuth and you know grab data. On the device side, make sure all of your devices are patched to the latest version of the operating system. There's this myth that Apple backports security to two major versions of the OS prior. That's actually not always true. And so uh, long story short, you only get all the security patches if you're on the latest version of the latest major release. You want to have disk encryption on. That's a real simple one. And there are some more, right? But those are the core ones, right? 2FA, patch your computers, and disk encryption. Yeah, so I think it's what's interesting to think about is you're categorizing these different security steps. One from, like, what should your applications be doing? Because your applications could be vulnerable. So that's where it's like, hey, use 2FA, use some of these, like, enforce some best practices. The next is on the device, because turns out, you know, devices, like you could have great internal security, but like, you know, if you allow someone to download a random, you know, piece of software that has malware in it, like that can then, you know, exploit all the software solutions you have on the on the device, right? Phishing, I mean, increasingly common, right? Sure. Then the final piece we were talking about earlier, which I think you'll probably dive into next, is just what do individual users need to be doing in order to think more about security, such so kind of training oriented, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's easier to go in the front door, right, than the back door. And we found that a lot of companies are hardening their production infrastructure, and that area of security seems to be maturing a lot. And there hasn't necessarily been the thought and care put into corporate security that there has been on the prod side. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people automate best practices around security and just general IT hygiene as well on the corp side. As far as training goes, yeah, I mean, you absolutely want people using a password manager. You want long, unique, random passwords for all of your third-party accounts. And you just want that one master password for your, your password vault itself. And we could talk about password misconceptions and hygiene all day, right? But that's a really basic thing you can do. And you want to train people on phishing, right? You don't want to open attachments that you don't know about. You don't want to open emails from unknown senders that look suspicious. But the bottom line is somebody's going to do it. Right? Sure. As much as you try to prevent it, you know, big companies do these tests all the time. They'll have an auditor come in and send a fake phishing email out, and every single time someone opens it. So how do you secure your fleet and your data in response to knowing that one or two or three or ten people are going to do the wrong thing inadvertently? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I love that Google talked about, they've basically been able to eliminate phishing attempts through using U2F tokens, right? Which I think is a really, really important thing. We do it here at Replicated. Everybody should do it. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great security feature. But there's just, you know, there's a lot to do, right? And so I think with technology like Fleetsmith, you can help automate some of these things. You can sort of learn what the best practices are. Ultimately, my perception is with end users, you know, as you bring more and more people on board, you just have to make sure everyone has a security mindset, right? If you're an application vendor, if you're a SaaS company or a software company, 
turns out you're also kind of a security company, right? Because you're you're going to either be processing data or distributing your software to people who need to deploy it securely. And so your entire organization has to be sort of organized around doing things securely. Because if you're not, then it just leaves so many vulnerabilities open. And it's I, I think it's it's a huge risk that people don't really understand, right? And so, you know, if you want to have any of the compliance certifications, not just check the boxes, but if you are truly liable for, you know, a bunch of end user, you know, information, you want to make sure you're really doing all the things and checking, like covering all of the different bases to do things as securely as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's hard. It's a lot of work, right? Security is everybody's problem. That's how we talk about it at Fleetsmith. And you know, if you see something, say something, right? That's that's totally okay. We want to promote an atmosphere of over disclosure, if possible. <laughs> um, you know, and then and then there's just the best practices, and that's an ongoing thing. You know, uh, when you hire someone new, obviously there's that onboarding training, and then there are refreshers. And as the security landscape changes, we need to educate employees about that. So early on in a company's history, like you know, or, or development. Let's say you're 15, 20 employees. Who should be in charge of internal corporate security? Yeah, so we got lucky with that. My co-founder, Jesse, was the natural choice. He's our CISO, and so it, it just made sense. Not everybody has a CISO at 15 or 20. And what we've actually seen, we've got great inductive evidence of who actually is in charge of this because they use Fleetsmith. We've seen a combination of co-founders. We've seen engineers. We've even seen uh, office managers do it. We've seen almost literally everybody do it. And I think the most important thing is there just needs to be someone designated, right? And ideally, they get educated around the basics. Obviously, we're doing our best to help people just be able to sort of see what the best practices are in our product. And there are a lot of companies and products that do that, that try to push the best practices so that if you're not an expert, you just get them, you can see them. But, you know, just like if you're building a product, go look at Enterprise Ready, right? If you're building an enterprise product, there are some good resources that we can dive into around how to be basically secure. Certainly on the device side, Fleetsmith tries to show you what those best practices are and then make it really easy to just automatically enforce them. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like for us, I feel like device is the kind of like last mile, right? Like you can do a lot of great internal training, you can like have systems set up, but ultimately, like if the device is get compromised like you kind of lose it all right like it invalidates everything else you've done because you can have people pull off keys or you know if you're even if you're using client side certs right you can have these things extracted so that's one of the reasons we love these you know hardware security modules like uh, u2f tokens is that they they're not readable so like a device security you know is like this is one thing that feels a little bit out of the reach of like malware, right? And you know, but that is today. Who knows, right? What happens over time? And there's sure there's ways that people can hack around and find malware to, you know, trigger U2F. Yeah, and that's one class of attack, right? right. That's the man in the middling of 2FA codes, and that's you're basically eliminating those with the hardware key in today's right. world by keeping your machines patched to the latest OS. You're eliminating another class of attack against known vulnerabilities and unknown vulnerabilities in previous versions. Right. Same thing with third-party software. Same thing with disk encryption. Right. And so, if you sort of layer on these defenses, you're just eliminating wholesale massive classes of attacks, and you make the attack surface pretty small and much more challenging. To the point that, again, if you go back to who the attacker is here, they're trying to make money. Make it cost prohibitive to be attacked. Right. And so, it's not that you're perfectly safe. Nobody ever is. But if you add defense and depth and layers you make it cost prohibitive and you're a less likely target. The other reason I think this is actually super important for application vendors is oftentimes you're going to be in a security review on the other side, right? When you're selling into a large enterprise deal, part of procurement is going to be going through security review. And not only do you want to have like implemented this like approach, but you want to be able to talk to it. You want to understand like what that, you know, CISO is thinking about when they're looking and evaluating your product and also your company. So one thing I always recommend to founders is to actually read the ISO 27001 standards. It's definitely a thick read, but when you get into it, the thing that always amazed me is like the first time I read it, I was like, wow, this is basically the playbook for every IT security admin out there. They're all looking at ISO 
saying, here's what I should be doing. When I talk to a vendor, I'm going to like bring up every one of these topics. And so from the idea of common vernacular, it's one of the best ways, I think, to kind of understand what the other side of the table is thinking about when you're talking about security. Totally agree. We've got a lot of customers who are in regulated industries, right? And have all sorts of compliance needs. And it's funny because we tend to see customers with really kind of sophisticated needs that you might think a large company would need earlier when they're in you know, financial industry or healthcare industry. And so if you go and read the ISO spec like you were mentioning, or have worked in this industry before, you can get a really good sense of it. And the thing is, if you start early, you can actually put systems in place and automation in place to solve a lot of these problems with minimal overhead or no overhead in certain cases. But getting the awareness initially is a big deal. And a lot of the controls in these common compliance certifications, we just automate for you. Yeah, I love that. You know, the thing I always think about it's interesting with like SaaS and software vendors is that your end customers, like the legislation and the compliance that they have to live up to, they push down to you, right? So when we talked about GDPR, it was like, well, you know, you might not have that much customer data, but like you're a processor or a subprocessor, right? And so you end up with like all these downstream effects. And so you really have to think through it. And I think the same is true if you're going to sell into fintech government and even like selling to a hipster enterprise, you know, fintech company, right? Like you're going to have their downstream downstream, right? So it sort of just always trickles down. And if you understand the frameworks that they're using to evaluate and to do these things, you're just, I think, in a much better position. Like other thing too, it's like ISO, if you read any of the NIST papers, those are all like... Love NIST. Yeah, but like that, you get some really interesting sort of guidelines and audit controls that they're implementing in order to make sure that they're secure. And you see these security matrices and things that you'll people will reference. But if you read it and you get all the context, I think it really helps you speak intelligently towards those so it can help you get some of those deals done or implement the feature the correct way instead of having a mismatch. So, Absolutely. Uh, Grant, did you know that NIST recently updated their uh, password guidelines as oh, an example? Tell me more. Yeah, so expiry and complexity aren't where it's at. It's really length, right? And so the recommendations are obviously you want to have long, unique, random passwords, but for the ones that you need to remember, the best practice is just length. And a great way to do that is make it four or five words, put a space between it so your muscle memory just works like you're typing out a phrase. And then you only have to remember four or five things rather than you know 30 things with 30 unique random characters. So stuff like that, I totally agree with you. In the NIST updated guidelines, go read it. Light reading, bedtime reading. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I make myself read it like on in a hammock, like laying outside in the sun because it's one of those things where if you're trying to read it at night, you'll just... Uh, you, you know, five minutes in your sleep. So, yeah, absolutely. But good stuff. Cool. So, that's super helpful. I think that, you know, the more that enter, like these enterprise software companies can approach their internal security and product security and really take that approach, like it'll just help get more deals done, get better customers on board, and create smoother conversations and sort of faster time to, like, to adoption. Absolutely. If you can come in and look at a dashboard and show it to your customer or pull out a report and show them that you're meeting these standards in advance of them asking you, even if you don't actually have the certification, oftentimes you can win the business. Yeah. So at Replicated, we don't have any like massive certifications. We actually don't handle a ton of super sensitive data, but like we can talk to every one of these pieces and like our whole team is super aware of security. And so, you know, we end up just being like people talk to us and they're like, okay, they get it a lot. And you know, it also matters the sensitivity of the data. So we can point to a you know, matrices of data security and be like, we don't handle that much of your important data. So yeah, you can absolutely. trust us. Cool. So from there, I know we talked a little about like you you actually read Enterprise Ready kind of like early on in the founding of the company and you were thinking about like some of these features when you first started. So the first one we should dive into is maybe just like how you've thought about product assortment, right? That's one of those features that I feel like isn't necessarily a it's not really an enterprise feature per se, but I think it's an important thing with enterprise go-to-market. So maybe you can talk a little about that. Absolutely. So fundamentally, you mentioned this earlier, taking kind of a bottoms-up approach, right? We're not starting in the enterprise, we're starting in the small and mid-market. And when we initially thought about product assortment, we kind of looked out at the market 
and said, wow, there's kind of a limited number of commercial products here and it's an enterprise, quote unquote, enterprise um, buying process. And we said, first of all, what if this could be self-serve? We're talking about SMB here, right? What if you could run an actual pilot yourself? And what if we were kind of innovative on running that pilot? So, so here's what we did. When we first launched, we had some device restrictions in terms of minimum device count, license count, credit card upfront, and so on. Last year, we came out and said, FleetSmith free. You can have up to 10 devices managed at no cost, no credit card, for an unlimited period of time. Wow, so, that's great. Yeah, most, most companies are doing a time-based thing, and that makes sense in a lot of cases. What we found, though, was that IT folks usually are a bit overloaded. Uh, having been one, I understand that. And often they'd start a pilot when they had a little bit of spare time, have some fires pop up, and miss the two-week or four-week window for their pilot and be ready to go in five weeks. It wasn't that this isn't important, just no one's working on their schedule. So we said, no, 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 you run this for a while, you see the value, and uh, go from there, right? And so because people can, and again, in contrast to two weeks with kind of the traditional vendors, and so because of that, what we saw is just a ton of people signing up and actually trying out the product, getting engaged with it, and proving the value to themselves. So that, that was really, FleetSmith Free was really a, a way to try our full product. And we had no product restrictions, by the way, on those 10 devices. It was 100% full product. Once you hit 11, you paid then for all 11 devices. Again, intended as a, a pilot. More recently, we came out with two different products, FleetSmith Intelligence and FleetSmith Managed. And so that replaced kind of the previous world. FleetSmith Intelligence gives you, kind of operationalizes actually a best practice, which is awareness of your entire fleet. And that's completely free, regardless of fleet size. And so the idea there is that people can understand in real time or very quickly what's going on across their fleet in terms of, are my devices patched? Just look at every best practice, right? Are my devices patched? Do I have disencryption turn on? Are my third-party apps patched? Do I have firewall on? I could go on, right? And also, you, you get a inventory with the devices checking in. So if you step up a level, you can say, well, the worst category here is devices that I don't have visibility into at all. And we actually surface that. And those are the ones that you need to remediate first. Those are in sort of a separate category from I have visibility and there's something wrong. And so we kind of go down the stack, giving you visibility, giving you the ability to make intelligent decisions about what to do, right? Now, if you want to automate remediation of these things, including automated patching, turning on disencryption, even stuff like remote lock and wipe, then you can switch over and upgrade to FleetSmith Managed, which is kind of the uh, full product that also automates new device setup completely and so on. So what we saw was two things. We saw initially a need to give people a good pilot that wasn't being served in the market. And then we also saw the need with FleetSmith Intelligence for people to be able to have full fleet-wide visibility. We often talk about how if you have two devices that you don't have visibility into, those are the ones you're going to get owned on, right? And so being able to say 100% of my devices are enrolled in FleetSmith Intelligence and I can see that all the best practices are being followed is so powerful. And to democratize that, bring that down from only the biggest companies with the most sophisticated teams to literally everybody, and for free, was a big deal for us. And it also lets people kind of understand the value in advance, right? You can see, hey, I don't have these set up. I can literally click a button and fix all of this right now. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, okay, so this makes a ton of sense. I'm looking at your pricing page. I can see how these are differentiated. One seems more like discovery and visibility. I would actually argue that this isn't true product assortment yet. The way that I would move this towards the product assortment world would be so you have your managed version that's eight twenty five per device per month, right? And so that currently has all of these features. What I would see coming sometime would be maybe a twenty dollar a month per device plan that has sort of like really in depth features around, you know, how you can do different role based access control, like really granular and build different you know users in there, and maybe some type of single sign-on that's you know beyond Google and using Okta and SAML and sort of like these advanced reporting features where people can build out some, you know, you embed something like Looker in and it gives you all these crazy reports that you can create. That would be the 
because the the goal is like there's a bunch of features that only like a really big team running lots of lots of devices or like an enterprise that maybe only has a certain number of devices but like needs super in-depth visibility into that they would start to really want those features and they have these heavy requirements. And so what I see here is one product that's like a genius way to like help expose the problem to your customers, right? This like intelligence, like discovery problem, right? Like put this out into your all of your devices, know what's going on, and then discover the problem, solve it with our product, right? Like turn it on and solve it. That's the idea, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I love that. It's interesting. The dividing line, I think, if you're in the world of mid-market to enterprise, what's the distinction there? I think you're 100% right. If you're talking about going from small to medium, actually, when you're small, sometimes you can manually take care of those things. And so this is all you actually need. And we want to make sure that we're democratizing that power for everybody. I totally agree. When you get into the mid to large <laughs> divider, there are a lot more features that bigger enterprises want that all I can say is we don't talk about product roadmap, but yeah, sure. stay tuned. But like, but uh, that makes sense. So you're saying like, hey, this is actually, it's still valuable even when you're smaller because just to know, like that visibility is going to give you the insights that you can then like change this later, right? Sure, so, because the end result, if you actually remediate them yourself, is the same. Sure, yeah, it's just not automated. Exactly. Yeah, that makes total sense. So that's super interesting. I also love your perspective that like some of the enterprise-ready features are even though they're like designed for like enterprise adoption and to like pull people up into these higher price plans, that you think that some of them are actually kind of making their way into the mid market table stakes and SMB table stakes type features as well. And I think that's something that happens over time. Like before this, we were talking about how like SSL encryption was like a thing that SaaS companies used to list on like their pricing page as like a feature that you would get when you like chose a higher price plan. And like obviously that's just a like if you don't have that, you're like laughed at. Right? Can you imagine Google dings you if you don't have it on your marketing page now? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like making that a feature that someone paid for at some point would be like insane. And so now it's like you're saying that even in your perspective, some of these features, single sign-on maybe might be something that you you came out with in, from the very start, right? Now it wasn't SAML based; it was Google Auth based. But that still, I mean, you know, it's a single sign-on way to manage all these users, right? Hundred percent. So when we started, we launched the product with single sign-on via G Suite, and it just turns out that that eliminates a whole class of problems that we as a vendor didn't want to have to deal with because it would make our customers more secure if we let Google deal with them, who has amazing security, right? That's pretty widely known. And so one of those things is passwords. There's no such thing as a FleetSmith password. You must sign up and then sign in through G Suite and now Office 365. And so an additional benefit there is password reset flows. Google and Microsoft take care of those. 2FA, I hope that you're enforcing that domain-wide. A little bit of RBAC, looking at the permissions that you do for users and admins in those IDPs, which is what they are for us, we piggyback on those. And so we got a whole host of these enterprise-ready features kind of built in by doing those integrations from day one. Now, there's no password. Is there a API key that I can create? So there's no public FleetSmith API right now. Okay. So at some point, there probably will be. Again, maybe, no maybe. comment on, yeah. uh, on Roadmap. But uh, yeah, as far as passwords, there are none. Yes, the API keys really we talked you know we talked about this a little bit earlier like are truly secrets are really passwords right and so when you think about API key management that's one of those things that people have to think about managing securely and if you're going to have API keys you need to make sure that your customers can manage those as well because there's really not a great single sign-on for APIs today right yeah I mean exactly they should be treated like passwords if the human's going to be the one using it they should be in your password vault. Right, right. And if they're going to be in production and machines are going to be using them, they should be in your secrets management system. Right. Period. I guess OAuth is kind of the like API key for for single sign-on, but it's kind of a pain in terms of flows. Okay, so you you launched with single sign-on, and that's been super helpful. And obviously, a lot of your customers has that been a challenge? Has anyone been like, oh, we don't use either of those two? And yeah, I mean, from day one, people said, hey, the most frequent suggestion or request was, hey, can we do Office 365? And so we released Office 365. There are a few people, quite a few people, requesting other ones. And at some point, we may or may not decide to do those. But we definitely listen to our customers. And that's why we've got 
probably the two most common SMB IDPs out there, which are really G Suite and Office 365. Yeah, and so we, let's say when you went to market, maybe that would cover 60 or 70% with Google, and then you add another 20 or 30% with Microsoft, and then maybe you're still left with the last 10% of prospective customers who would use some other system. Yeah, I think that's fair, whether it's something like Octo One Login or just pure SAML, right? But it, we're also talking about people at companies who are up to 1,000 employees. And so if you're talking about enterprise, I think that percentage that we don't today cover might get bigger. Sure. But because we're talking about small and mid-market companies, we're covering the vast, vast majority with just G Suite and Office 365, in part because even with a product like Okta, you can automatically provision G Suite and Office accounts, and therefore you can use FleetSmith with those. So we're really covering almost everyone in the SMB space. Sure. The interesting thing is, even you know, there's not too long ago when the idea that every small business would either have a Google G Suite account or a Microsoft 365 account to auth with would that probably wasn't a given five, six years ago, right? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, it's funny, just like. When you want to set up email at a company, if you start a company today, it would be sort of ridiculous to say, I'm going to get exchange servers and have an email administration team. Nobody really does that anymore. Right. right? Of course, the obvious thing is take 10 minutes and get G Suite or Office 365. And we're actually trying to do the same thing with FleetSmith, which is I'm not going to not manage my computers or manage them manually with some kind of legacy tool. I'm just going to automate all this. And it's exactly the same thing. And so when you're talking about the move to modern tooling were another example of that. And if you're running legacy on-prem replicated, it's another example of moving to the modern tooling to do sure. it. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and even like the interesting thing is that Google Auth or 365 Auth, I mean, can work really anywhere, right? Like, you know, you can deploy, like we've actually used Google Auth in front of internal services that we create that are like not even available, like you know, officially on the public internet, where it's like it sits behind a you know an access proxy and then used that to authenticate into. So that's pretty cool. I, I mean, it's a I've seen a handful of other companies going to market with that as the initial user user model, and I guess you know particularly for your tool, it doesn't really have a single player mode. There's not like a one person thing that even makes even more sense. So absolutely, and there you know the funny thing is it wasn't only for single sign on that we chose those integrations, you actually get a lot more out of FleetSmith because of those. And yeah. so it eliminates a lot of manual work. For example, when you want to do inventory and you're assigning a device to a person, because we connect to your G Suite or Office 365, you grant us read-only access to see the list of users. We literally see first name, last name, and corporate email. And we can import that into FleetSmith and actually automate the assignment of devices to those users. So you have amazing kind of automatic inventory. Imagine sure. that back to that spreadsheet. That's sort of gone, and it's automated in a great way. When we're setting up a new hired device, again, we know who it's for because of that automatic attribution. We can create the local user account on the device based on the G Suite or Office 365 username. We're the only device management provider that does that. And mm -hmm. so there are a lot of benefits to having initially integrated with these IDPs beyond just SSO. And it's funny that it seems so obvious to us and yet no one else was doing it. And so it's on Enterprise Ready. We're looking at, are there other items on Enterprise Ready? We actually literally look at it all the time, right? And say, what's missing? Are there other things that we can add here that would be really beneficial, even in additional ways from what you see on Enterprise Ready? It's amazing how that works to SMBs. And increasingly, the answer is yes. Yeah. The one area that I think ends up being probably... I know you're you piggyback on some of the role-based access control that you get from Google in terms of what your user profile is. I think I even remember like you would set up you could set up different user groups inside of Google admin and you would piggyback on top of that, right? So this inheritance of permissions. You need a specific permissions to be a Fleetsmith admin. Right. And so if you put Google users in those groups, then they can be Fleetsmith admins too. Yeah. Yeah, I think I because you know, we're, we're users of Fleetsmith, I think I do remember the one challenge was that was like a little bit like sort of opaque in terms of how to actually do it. I had to like read the documentation versus like sometimes just like click on a user table and like click make admin. But it's we talked about trade offs, right? So it's like okay, well, it's still possible, and I still figured out how to do it. It just like maybe took me an extra you know ten minutes to figure out how to make my co-founder also an admin or something. Yeah, absolutely. On the office side. It's a little bit more like what you were talking about because we built that later. Oh, and sure. So 
I totally agree with you is the answer. And we should make that a little bit easier. Yeah, but it's, it's you know, early on, you're making these product decisions. You're trying to get the feature in, making sure that that's happening. Administrative features oftentimes don't get the same level of attention because it's just not the core functionality of the application, right? right? So, And a lot of people think that everything Fleetsmith does is an administrative feature, which I think is funny, right? This is just, quote unquote, just IT, right? And so now we're talking about the administrative features for the administrative product. But yeah, I mean, all of the benefits of getting G Suite integration from day one, including SSO, actually creating a new account in 10 seconds, self-serve, all the stuff in product with attribution and new user account creation. We even have a cool email integration where if people's computers are not enrolled and you can't see them anymore, we can actually automatically group them and let you send them a message. So there's all kinds of cool stuff with that. And you're right, there's a trade-off on the RBAC side, but boy, I love it on balance, yeah. One thing I love to do is have everyone give like a quick pitch because I think one thing that's really interesting for, for me at least is hearing how other people describe the thing that they're bringing to the world the problem and everything else. So like and we all, you know, as founders that kind of have like a standard pitch we always do. So I'd love to hear yours and, and sort of you know go for it. Sure. So Fleetsmith puts device management on autopilot and we solve four big problems that our customers have. One is setting up new hire devices. So we bring that from one to three hours per device down to minutes and fully automate it. The second one is awareness. So with Fleetsmith Intelligence, you have live updating inventory get rid of that spreadsheet, just completely solve the manual inventory problem. The third one is updates. Huge, uh, important thing to do. Get everyone on a uniform computing environment and it's part of security. We completely automate updates and that's just a massive amount of manual work for the OS and for third-party apps. Also, OS settings, we completely automate pushing those out. And the last one is security. So we fully automate the most important things you can do to secure your device fleet, which are, like I said, patching before, but also disencryption, uh, firewall. I could go down the list, but there's a ton of security automation in there. And your kind of surface here is when you log into Fleetsmith, you see what we recommend as the best practices. You actually have awareness as to where you fall. Is your fleet kind of um, in a situation where these best practices are enforced? And we make it a one or two click operation to bring yourself up to best in class. And we do this for all Apple devices. So Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Apple TVs actually, uh, which is great for conference rooms too. And like we mentioned before, we've got two products, Fleetsmith Intelligence, which fully operationalizes the best practice of fleet awareness. That's free regardless of fleet size. And then we have Fleetsmith Managed, which brings all of those automation best practices to your whole fleet, and that's $99 per device per year or $825 a month if you pay annually. Or if you just want to pay monthly, that's fine too. We're one of the only device management products that lets you pay monthly, and it's $10 a month per device, so that's it. Perfect. Zach, thank you so much for coming. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Grant. Loved it. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, or just to learn more about enterprise features, find us at enterpriseready.io. To learn more about HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com to check out the library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.